Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor at our Carmel campus. So glad to be with you today. Um, I'm going to be here actually for two weeks in a row. So sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you. I don't think my campus would cheer for that. Uh, I haven't been there two weeks in a row in a long time. But um, uh, we're doing this series called Humans of the Bible. And what we've done is we've got a lot of our teachers have each written uh, a message or two, and we're taking them to various campuses at various times. So some of you that are in a connection group, you know that because you've had to experience the idea that you've got people in both from both campuses in your group. And like, what did you talk about today? Well, what did you talk about today? Well, I guess we can't really do a study together since we didn't talk about the same thing. Um, I wonder how many of you know the name Dick Rowe? Dick Rowe. Anybody ever heard of Dick Rowe? We had one person in four services now that have heard of uh, Dick Rowe. He's one of the most famous and successful record producers of the 1950s and 60s. In fact, he's known for signing bands like the Rolling Stones, uh, the Zombies, the Moody Blues, and Van Morrison. And some of you just became a big fan. Uh, But he's best known for the day he signed a band called Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Anybody know Brian Poole and the Tremolos? Brian Poole, here's what happened. Here's, Here's the story why he became famous for this day. Dick Rowe had a company called Decker Records. He was the president. And they had scheduled two uh, two auditions on the same day with two different bands. Uh, the first band to perform was Brian Poole and the Journalists. Brian and the band, they were local. Uh, they were on time. They were clean and neat. They had their own equipment. They set up. They did their audition. And by all accounts, they did a really good job. The other band, though, was late. They uh, didn't really understand how to use public transportation. They got there with their equipment, their equipment was junk, so they couldn't use their own instruments. They had to borrow some from the studio. And in the end, it was just too big of a risk for Dick and his company to take. And so they signed Brian and the Tremolos. They became a Decker, Decker Records artist. And by most accounts, they were fairly successful. They had a couple of albums, they charted a couple of songs, and um, a couple of years later, Brian Poole decided he would be better on his own. And so it became Brian Poole and the Tremolos, and very successful and they both kind of became footnotes in history. Uh, but the other bands, well, they were pretty good too. And on that day that he signed Brian Poole and the Tremolos, Dick Rowe became known as the man who rejected the Beatles. Now, so here's my question to you today. How would you like to be known to be the person who rejected the Beatles? Or, or for that matter, how would you like to be known for your biggest mistake in life? that most people know you by the one mistake you made. You know, I think that's what we're going to find with one of our people, one of our humans from the Bible today, by the name of Martha. I think most readers of the Bible know Martha best by one thing that she did and was rebuked by Jesus for. And what I want to do today is I want to kind of maybe uh, redeem Martha's character as we explore her life and the life of her sister, a woman named Mary. We're continuing in this series called Humans of the Bible. In case you haven't been with us, this series is loosely based on a blog called Humans of New York. How many of you have heard of Humans of New York? How many of you had never heard of it until the series started? Yeah, that's what we got in the first service too. Uh, and so photographer Brandon Stanton started this blog, and his idea was to capture the faces of 10,000 New Yorkers. He wanted to kind of create this catalog of people's faces. But what he realized quickly after starting this blog was he was as interested in their story. And so rather than just creating this catalog of faces, he realized that the stories are the real people, real people with real stories. And so uh, he kept this blog going in an effort to help explain these people's stories and help 
I want to talk about today are the sisters Mary and Martha and Bethany. Now, Mary and Martha hold a special place in the New Testament, and that they were mentioned three times. Now, while they're not any of the main actors that traveled with Jesus, they're still mentioned three times in there. In fact, what I get from this is that Jesus held women in high regard. And this was very unusual in that culture at the time, that a rabbi, a teacher, a man of God, so while it's true that there are no women among the 12 apostles, uh, that wouldn't have been unusual culturally because Jesus had a traveling ministry. He would have been moving from place to place. And uh, it would have been very difficult for a single man, together. a single Father, rabbi, so to have uh, done that when morning. he we faced all the same temptations that we face. And so it wouldn't have been unusual for them to be Lord. just men. Lord. However, Jesus us, did have many women followers and many you, women disciples. And in fact, his ministry was partially funded by women, some right very famous women. Well, not famous to us today, but famous at the time, helped fund Jesus's ministry. And so... Mary and Martha, while it's true, they're not part of the 12. And in fact, we don't have any indication that Mary and Martha actually traveled with Jesus. Um, every time we see them mentioned in the New Testament, it's Jesus coming to Bethany to see them. Uh, they are mentioned multiple times in the New Testament. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool place to be. And so here's what I want to do as we uh, go through this message today. I want to look at the three mentions of these sisters first. Let's look at the three stories that capture Mary and Martha in the New Testament. One is in the book of Luke, and the other two are captured by the Apostle John. And then we'll take a step back, uh, as I mentioned, try to redeem Martha a bit. And then we're going to look at what is the common thread that runs through all these stories. What is, what is, what is Jesus trying to show us? with these stories, okay? So let's start in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. Uh, Luke 10 uh, is page 725. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these on the floor around you. It's page 725 in this Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please take this one home with you. Uh, not this one, but the one close to you, because uh, we want you to have a Bible where you can read from, all right? Luke 10, 38 is where we're going to start. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And so this is the one. This is the one place we probably know Martha best from anyway. It's the one bad move that she made, the one mistake maybe, and it's probably what she's best known for. And she's the one who was busy, busy, busy while her sister Mary was just sitting intently at the feet of Jesus, listening to everything that he had to say, hanging on her every, hanging on Jesus's every word. And if you've been around church much, if you grew up in Sunday school, this is probably what you know about Mary and Martha. Uh, you may have even used this phrase with somebody at some time when they were too busy and not paying attention to say, don't be such a Martha, right? Anybody ever say that? Don't raise your hand. Guys, you ever say that to your wife when she's uh, getting ready for small group and people start arriving or getting ready for a family gathering, people start arriving and she's still busy doing it. And you say, don't be such a Martha. Huge husband points for that, by the way, if you say that. Maybe not. Um, or, uh, but, but that's what we know about Mary. Mary is the one that sits intently at the feet of Jesus and Martha is the busybody. And, and the, the implication that we get from this is don't be a Martha, be a Mary. 
right? Don't be a Martha, be a Mary. But the truth is, we need Marthas in the world. In fact, I relate pretty well to Martha. I like to stay busy. And so uh, here's the thing. If the whole world were Marthas, we'd be a pretty boring world. It'd be a lot cleaner and more organized, uh, but it'd be pretty boring. But if we were all Marys, I mean, we'd still be living in caves and eating berries that we find on vines and sitting in our own filth and filing our taxes on April 16th. I mean, it wouldn't be a very nice place. It might be polite and nice and we'd listen, right? But we wouldn't get anything done. We need Marthas and we need Marys. And in fact, if you're a Mary, you need a Martha in your life. If you're a Martha, you need a Mary in your life. We need each other, okay? Uh, So if that's true, if we need both Marthas and Marys, why does Jesus seem to correct Martha in this moment? Well, we'll look at that in a few minutes, okay? But first, let's look at the second place they appear, and it's in John chapter 11. Uh, John 11, 1 is where we're going to start. And these aren't just, uh, if you, they're not just in the order that you find them in your Bible either. Uh, These are uh, the the three encounters we find chronologically. This is how they happened, okay? And so uh, how do you know that? Because the four Gospels are actually four different uh, authors' accounts of Jesus' life, and they're not all in the same order. And so what's helped me to understand how this works is to have a, a book. It's called The Harmony of the Gospels. And it takes the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and lines them up in chronological order. So you can see what happened first and what happened next and what happened next. If you really want to understand the life of Jesus, uh, I uh, recommend you go pick up a Harmony of the Gospels because it helps you see uh, what happened first and then what happened next and what happened next, all right? It's hard to do just reading the Gospels. John 11, 1. So this is the second time Jesus encounters Mary and Martha. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus lay, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, we haven't seen that story yet. We're going to read that in just a minute. But remember, the Apostle John is writing this many years later. He's got the uh, benefit of hindsight. He knows this is the person that uh, did that story as well. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, uh, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's going to be so critical. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes, but hold on to verse 5. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. Now, if, if you've heard me preach about this before, you know I've got a problem with this passage. Maybe my problem is not with the passage so much as it is with Jesus. Is it okay to say that in church? Um, and here's what I mean. It says in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so I expected to say, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he went right away to Bethany to go heal Lazarus. Isn't that what you expect out of Jesus? Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, I could understand if it said, but this was a really busy time in Jesus' ministry, and he had lots of people clamoring for his attention, and Jesus was so busy healing people that he got stuck where he was for two more days, and then he decided to go to Bethany. But that's not what it says. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick. Now, to me, that's, that's almost like causation, right? Because, you could read it like this, because he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, Jesus decided to stay for two more days. Do you ever wonder 
My Jesus decided to stay for two more days as much as he loved his sister. Well, he tells us, he says, right before that, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. I think that's so important for us to remember. Because the truth is that you may have something in your life that you desperately want fixed, but it's something that God wants to use for his glory so that Jesus can be glorified through it. Maybe there's something that you want fixed or healed or changed, but just fixing it right away, even though our God has the power to do that, would be kind of a cop-out. And instead, God wants to use it to bring glory to himself. He's going to use you uh, to bring glory to himself. Maybe him just fixing it wouldn't allow you to put the credit where it belongs, and so God's going to let something die in your life so he can show you he's worth your praise. That's what's going to happen with Lazarus. Get down to verse 17. On his arrival, he waited two days. He comes to uh, Bethany. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Remember, this would have been unusual. Uh, Mary and Martha sent news when he was sick that he would have had to get to Jesus. He would have two more days. He would have had to travel to Bethany. Don't know how long that would have taken. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to come with them and lost their blood. When Martha heard that Jesus was she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Watch this now. She's about to redeem herself. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Look at the faith in that statement. Lazarus is dead, but even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And some of you may be in that place today where you just need to demonstrate that kind of faith. You know, the cancer has spread too far. The financial situation is too bad. The love is completely gone from our marriage. You need to take that problem to Jesus and say, it looks like hope is gone, but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask for. Even now you can be healed. Even now you can be fixed. Even now the relationship can be restored. I often say, if you're not dead, you're not done. But Lazarus was dead. And he still wasn't done. Even now, Jesus is capable of amazing things. Let's get down to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Does that sound familiar? A cave with a stone laid across the entrance. This is a great piece of foreshadowing, by the way. Uh, Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Martha was afraid she was going to have to clean the cave, probably. Um, Verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe in the same He said he's coming to show God's glory. When 
he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped his strips of and he brought the a second chance in life. Isn't that incredible? Lift your voice. For many, so many By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of Jesus. We've been given a second chance in life. I had a good life, I had a good life, and a good marriage, and a pretty good my life and I allowed him to be gave me a second life. And if you're a Christian, whether you thought about it or not, this is true for you from You've given, been given a second chance of life. I'm going to read to you what the Apostle Paul says about this from Ephesians 2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. You followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit is all of us, meaning all of us, all of us also lived among them one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature filled with God, who is made us alive in Christ, even when we're dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with Him in the heavenly realm. Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable richness of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one So let's, let's just tease that out a little bit. Jesus presents us with this offer. He will take your current life, a life where you're Father, already dead in so your sin and transgression. Morning, you are God, already you Lazarus. Did not sting in the grave. The grave just you are dead in your sin and transgression. Jesus will take that God, life and, and replace it with life a new life. When you rose. And if you don't do so Jesus, anything you about that, that offer, if you don't God, decide you that on that morning. offer, you're going to die someday. Father, we love and you. someday, that's the end, that you are separated from God for all of eternity. But if you accept that offer, what you're doing is you're choosing to die now. You're choosing to kill off your old self. We call it to die to yourself. You're choosing to die now, and you are immediately given a second chance at life. And then someday, when your body is old and withered, you won't die. You won't well, have to be like Lazarus. Well, good morning and welcome again. My name is Ben. I'm the campus In fact, people sometimes ask me how confident I am that I have eternal life. You know, are you sure that you're going to be in heaven someday? And I can say 100% completely confident. And I haven't always been able to say that. I mean, even as a Christian, it took me a long time to get there. But I know that I've received eternal life because I've already received it. I'm on my second life now. And I know that because I'm not the same me I used to be. The me I used to be be is a different person than the me that's standing better, here today. And many of you are like that too, that you are a new creation in Christ. And you know that because you know how you used to be and you know how you are now. And you are on your second life. You've been given a second chance. And the same is true for Lazarus. 
Also, and I bet he lived his second life with an uh, urgency that he never had before. People are taking vacation. I bet that uh, Lazarus couldn't possibly, after he was raised to life again, couldn't possibly go back to how his life used to be, no matter how good of a person he thought he was. What was he going to do? He was going to worship Jesus for the rest of his life. And Mary and Martha got to see that. They get to witness that. All right. So let's look at the third place uh, we see their story in Scripture, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. John 12 is where we're going to start with that. John 12, 1. Six days before the Passover. Now, I just want to stop right there and tell you this is the Passover where Jesus ends up going to Jerusalem, and there he's going to be arrested and tried and sentenced to death. And then later he'll be crucified. So this is six days before he makes that entry into Jerusalem. It's not long after he raised Lazarus from the dead. All right. So six days after the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. You know, if somebody raises you from the dead, the least you can do is buy him dinner. Right? And so that's what Lazarus is going to do. And Martha served, Avi, okay, uh, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. How weird is that, that the guy that I just raised from the dead is sitting here at the table with me, right, if you're Jesus. Uh, then Mary took about a pint of Purinard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Hindsight is so beneficial for John in this case. Uh, verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Okay, now as I was preparing uh, this sermon a couple weeks ago, I noticed that there's a common thread running through these three stories, and not just a common thread with Mary and Martha themselves. We see that too, right? We see uh, Martha is always busy. She's always first. She's always the one who's, who's active. Uh, Mary is always sitting back. But we also, also see, where do we always see Mary? We always see Mary at the feet of Jesus. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but in the first story, while Martha was busy, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. In the second story, when Martha comes out and rushes and confronts Jesus, she talks to him. Mary comes out and runs and falls at his feet. In the third story, when they're having this dinner, where's Martha? She's washing the feet of Jesus. She's always at Jesus' feet. So we see that common thread. But there's a common thread in these three stories that I think Jesus wants us to learn from. He wants to tell us this. He wants, in fact, I think he's almost giving us a, a command. Uh, uh, he's giving us uh, some, some information about how we are that uh, we need to listen to. But before uh, I get to what that command is, before I get to the thing that Jesus is trying to teach us, I want to talk about something for a minute because uh, we need to remember where Jesus' commands come from. Because we can get so caught up uh, in one of two ways with, with the idea of rules that we can be put off by religion or by Christians. And one of the ways is we see Christians who are... Um, they're, they're just a little bit self-righteous, right? That they, they follow the rules. I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss. I do all these things right. And if you're gonna do those things, I'm not gonna hang out with you because I don't do those things and I don't think you should either. So I'm gonna be judgmental about it. I'm gonna hold that over your head. And so we see people that are all about the rules, right? Um, and so we can take the Bible and we can say, well, there's all these rules in the Bible and you should all follow them because they're in the Bible. 
Or we can be the other way, and we can, even those of us with really good theology, we can be, oh, you know, we're all about grace. I was saved by the grace of God, but God who's rich in mercy, God's rich in mercy, so what, do I, what does that mean? I guess I don't really have to follow all of the commands because really Jesus has already paid for them. And so as long as he's already paid for them, um, we took my daughter uh, school supply shopping last week, and I have one daughter who um, is very careful with money and one daughter who uh, doesn't isn't careful with money. And she actually told her sister, who cares? Mom's paying for it all anyway. And uh, so we, we can be that way with Jesus, right? We can say, Jesus already paid for all of my sins, so I might as well, I can keep sinning. It's okay. So we can get so um, caught up in the things that are in this book that it's just like, we think that this is just a book of rules for us. And it doesn't matter which side we're on, uh, the Bible over here, if you're all about grace, loses its relevance when it commands us to do something because Jesus already paid for them. And over here, the Bible as a, as a love story, as a love letter to us, loses its relevance because it's all about the rules. And as long as I'm following the rules, that's what the Pharisees did. You know, they followed the rules, but they didn't have the love of God in their hearts. All right, so this is why I want to tell you where this comes from. When Jesus gives us a command, whenever God gives us a command, where does it come from? It comes from this place. We need to make sure that we're clear on this. It comes from, we'll see it in John 11:5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so everything that Jesus did for Martha and Mary, everything that Jesus told to Martha and Mary, every time that Jesus rebuked Martha, it was out of this place that he loved Martha and her sister. And so um, let's don't lose sight of this that whenever God commands us to do something, it comes from a place of love. And when we realize that God's command for us are out of a place of love, it's easier to do what the Bible says to do because it's not just all of a sudden a long long book of rules. It's now about a story of love of of a God who loved his people so much that he wanted to show them the best way to live. It's like this. Uh, Parents, we have parents in the room. Raise your hand if you're a parent. Parents, if you have rules for your kids, keep your hand up. Yeah, almost every parent has rules for their children. Why? Because we love them, right? We love our kids and we want to set uh, boundaries and guidelines in place because we love our kids and we have been where you've been and we know what happens when we do the wrong thing and we know how it works when we do the right thing. And so because we love you, we want to show you how to live. Kids, students in the room, your parents sometimes are misguided They're always terribly unhip and uncool, but they love you and they love you. And almost everything they command you to do is out of love. And when you think about it that way, it's easier to follow what they tell you, right? Because you know that they're telling you that because they love you. Well, that's the same way with God, except with parents, we almost always do it out of love because we're not perfect. But God's a perfect dad. He's a perfect father and everything he does and everything he tells us is out of love. And so maybe you're doing something he specifically forbids in scripture, but you think, you know what? I'm not hurting anyone. I haven't been caught yet. It hasn't really affected me yet. But just remember every rule, every guideline, every boundary, every command Jesus gave during his lifetime comes because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And not just in eternity, but in this life here on earth today. Okay, and that's the case with Mary and Martha. So we look through these three stories. And we see that Jesus is going to try to teach us something through these three stories. There's a common thread. Here's what I think we can take away. We focus way too much on temporary things. And we don't focus nearly enough on eternal things. 
God has placed eternity in our hearts. But it's really easy to get distracted by the things of this world and to be focused on the things that we have to do or the things that we want to do and to not focus on the things that God has for us. He says, you focus way too much on the temporary and not nearly enough on the eternal. When when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he comes right out and tells his disciples, it's not going to end in death, but I'm doing it. Why? I'm doing it to show the glory of God. Have you ever thought about what happened to Lazarus after this? Do you know that, that Lazarus died again and Jesus didn't come back and raise him from the dead? I know that because Lazarus is not still walking around today. If we had a 2,000-year-old guy walking around today, we would probably hear something about that on the news, right? Even the mainstream media would probably pick that one up, right? Um, and so we know Lazarus, we don't see any first century people still walking around. Why? Because they eventually died. But Jesus wanted to focus people not on Lazarus, but on what? On God's glory, because God's glory is eternal. And so that's why he did that. When, when Mary pours out the expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and Judas speaks up and says, Wait, that could have been used to feed the poor. Let's be honest for a minute. We know Judas' story now. We know how it ends. They didn't know that then. Some of us would have been on Judas' side in that. Right? There's, there's this expensive perfume. Mary's spent all this money on this perfume to pour out at Jesus' feet. But man, that, that money could have been used for such a greater purpose. Right? But Jesus had to remind them, hey, you're always going to have the poor among you. In other words, he says, feeding the poor is a temporary solution. It's a temporary thing. Don't get focused so much on that because your worship has eternal consequences. Our worship in this room today has eternal consequences. I don't know how much you've thought about this, but someday you're going to be face to face with Jesus and you're going to be able to continue conversations you've already started on earth. And we, when we worship Jesus through song, through reading his word, through, through giving, through any way that we worship, we're going to be able to continue that conversation in heaven. And man, don't you want to have something to talk to him about? Your worship has eternal consequences. Jesus reminds us of that. And finally, poor Martha. When when Jesus rebukes her, or maybe that's too strong, maybe corrects her, he says this in in Luke 10, 41. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And look what he says about that. Mary has chosen what is better. He says, yeah, things need to get done. Yeah, I know that it's okay to be busy sometimes, especially when you're busy and productive busy. But Mary, in this moment, Mary has chosen what is better, and he says, and it will not be taken away from her. What you're doing, Martha, is temporary. You're worried and upset about many things, and I gotta tell you, uh, guys, no matter how clean your house gets, it's gonna get dirty again. No matter how much food you cook, you're gonna be hungry again. No matter how much we do some of these things that, let's be, be honest, need to get done, they're temporary. But Jesus says, Mary's worship, Mary being at my feet, will not be taken away from her. It is eternal. It lasts forever. Father, I thank you so and I probably much don't have to tell you this is a major the theme word, in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, one time, this focus on eternal things, right? It's a major theme. One time when he was preaching to a large crowd up on a mountain, he warned us, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why did he say this? Because he didn't want us to have nice things, right? No. It's not because he didn't want to have his nice nice things. It's because he loves us. 
And he knows what's coming in the next life. And he knows that the things that we focus on, the things that we accumulate, the things that we can get our hearts so set on are temporary. And they're useless in the next life. He knows that the things that we accumulate on earth are temporary. And one day, they're going to be useless. The treasures we accumulate in heaven are eternal treasures. They can never be taken away. The Apostle Paul wrote maybe the best piece of advice about this when he said in 2 Corinthians 4.18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And you know, in our day and age, in our culture, we do seen really well. I mean, that's why we have 3D IMAX movies, and it's why... Instagram and Snapchat are the fastest growing social media sites. Why? Because they're visual, right? There's, it's all seen. It's stuff that we can see. It's why Pinterest and HTTV are so loved because we can see how beautiful someone's house or kitchen or bedroom is without the inconvenience of having to sleep there or cook there or pay the bills there. We, we do seen really well, but we don't do unseen. And so the results of that, because we're so focused on what we can see, is that we are experts in busy. We're really good at staying busy. We, we, we stay busy to impress our friends and neighbors. We stay busy because it's a badge of honor in our culture to be busy. How are you doing? Busy. Oh, busy. We love to be busy. We stay busy because, honestly, most of us don't know what to do when we're not busy. You know, when I was a kid, my dad would get on me for watching too much television. But you know what my kids do today? They watch television with their phone in their hand. We got to stay busier. We, we, we can't go anywhere without our electronics and our phone. We, we use our phone in the bathroom. Oh, we're going to pretend that's just me. Okay, I get it. Most of us don't know what to do when we're not busy. We don't know how to just sit and be. We don't know how to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. We don't like quiet, but this is the one thing. Jesus said, this is the one thing that's required, and it's the one thing that can't be taken away from us, to sit at his feet, to hear his voice. You know, there's this story in the Old Testament of a prophet named Elijah, and Elijah wants to hear from God, and he goes up on the top of this mountain, and and there's an earthquake, but the Bible says that God wasn't in the earthquake. And then as Elijah's up on this mountain, there's a raging fire that comes through, but the Bible says that God wasn't in the fire. And then God finally speaks to Elijah, and you know how he speaks to him? In a whisper. And so here's my challenge to you. If God were to come to you this week and speak to you in a whisper, would you even be able to hear him? Or is your life so busy and so packed full that you wouldn't be able to hear what God had to say to you? We're not good at quiet. We're good at busy. And so here's what we're going to do. We just decided that in this service, even today, we're going to create some space to be quiet. And it's going to be, uh, we're going to take just a minute or two. And in just a minute, when I'm done talking, the band's going to stop playing. It's going to be completely quiet in here. And it's going to be a little awkward for some of you because you're not used to that. You're not, haven't practiced that. But you know, in the same way that when uh, you're quiet around somebody you don't know, it's really awkward. But when you're quiet around somebody that you know and love really well, it's not at all awkward. That's what we hope to develop. That over time, this becomes a habit for you. And so it's just going to be a minute or two. 
but I'm going to step down off the stage. And what I hope is that it starts a habit in your life, a habit of just being quiet before the Lord, of listening for his voice and trying to hear what he has to say to you.